Get your Bibles out, ready to continue on in James chapter 4. And last week we looked at the first three verses and looked at how our selfishness, self-centeredness completely affects our relationship with others, our relationship with God, the all-about-me mindset. And James continues on, and today we're looking at verses 4 through 6. And this is not only our selfishness, but the worldliness that affects our lives and how that not only affects our relationships with others, but really our relationship with God. Uh, So read with me James 4, verses 4 through 6. And today is true faith is not a friend of the world. So true faith is not a friend to the world. And reading verses 4 through 6, you adulterous people. Now this is why I like James. He just goes right to it, um, doesn't sugarcoat it. And so he's, he's calling us out. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I have to say that choosing the right friends in your life is important, is it not? I pray all of us have a a good group of friends uh, that are close that we can rely on. Growing up in Lompoc, California, just south of Vandenberg Air Force Base, any any of our military people... Central California, it was basically right on the elbow of California, if you look at, if you look at the map. Small town, and I was there from third grade through high school, and it was a small enough town that even, like I would ride my bike across town for, to go to school in the, when I was in junior high. So it was, it was small enough. Could you imagine your junior hires riding around Waldorf? I barely like to ride around, ride around in Waldorf. Uh, with traffic and all of that, but I had a great group of friends. Uh, we lived up in the corner of the town. There was a hill, like we were at the top of the hill, about five houses down uh, to the bottom of the hill, which was amazing for skateboarding, bike riding, uh, making jumps for our bikes. But we would we would go to school. Most of us walked to school together. It was less than a mile away in elementary school. We'd come home, have to get our homework done, uh, get a snack, and then we were immediately outside. Outside until the streetlights came on. And it was a great time. Of course, in there you had to do some piano practice and different things, but but it was a great time. A, a group of friends that we all got together. Uh, if someone was home and in trouble or sick, we missed them. But we would hang out and do all sorts of, of activities. We made up half of them. Uh, but that group of friends... Uh, were a solid base for me growing up. And I know that people from the outside, if they saw us together, would kind of figure out what kind of person we were by our friends. And they, they were good guys. And it wasn't, you know, we weren't the mean group. And, you know, I think we all got along pretty good and, and we included others in our group. Uh, but that, those friends were a blast. Uh, a group to put together, to have together, to have fun, uh, to be able to relax. Saturday morning cartoons, uh, watching all together. So it was a great time. And then other friend 
groups throughout the rest of my life. But I can tell you this, that I can tell you, tell what kind of person you are by the friends that you have. Uh, it is true that birds of a feather flock together, and you can kind of tell the personality of a person or their kind of their demeanor by the group of friends that you have. So be careful with the friends that you have. Hopefully you have good friends. And if you think about it, if you want to be a smart person, you hang out with smart people. If you want to be mean, you hang out with the mean people. Uh, it affects who we are with the friends that we have. So here's my question for today's message. Is, therefore, what does our life reflect more? A friendship with the world or friendship with God? Because that affects who we are in our faith. Affects who we are as we are pursuing the things of Christ. Is what friendship is stronger in our life? The friendship with the world or our friendship and relationship with God. So James comes out of the gates strong with you adulterous people. And adultery is the cheating in marriage. It's being unfaithful. If you're an adulterer, you have cheated on your spouse. You have been unfaithful in the marriage. And so why is James using that? Well, in our picture of the relationship to God and the church is a picture of marriage. And there's this spiritual adultery uh, that we tend to be unfaithful to God, that we can be an unfaithful people. And Scripture describes our relationship with God as marriage throughout the Old Testament. In fact, there are some very, uh, some passages with some graphic language with the picture of God as a father and Isaiah, or God as the husband. Isaiah 54, 5 says, For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And all throughout we see God as the husband of the church, of Israel. And it is the unfaithfulness in his covenant love that he, there, here's this picture, that the unfa- not the unfaithfulness of God, the unfaithfulness of his people against God's love. And then in the New Testament, we see the picture of Christ as the head and the church as his bride. And Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, and you can read this with me. But here is the marriage relationship with Christ as a husband and the church as his bride. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So Christ is our bridegroom. We are his bride. And this means that as we turn away from Christ and embrace the world, that we are sinning against this relationship. We are being unfaithful. And James continues on in in Verse 4, with friendship with the world is enmity with God. And that word enmity isn't just, you know, we kind of offend God. No, it is hostility. It is actively opposing who God is in our relationship. So are we married to God or to the world? And can you imagine a couple that gets married and a month later the husband tells his wife, you know what, I'm going to go hang out tonight with my my ex, uh, my old girlfriend. For the night. I mean, no way. Jose, <laughs> like your marriage is in trouble. If you're married 
happily loving your spouse and you're like, well, I'm going to go hang out with this old flame of mine. That, I, I pray that never happens. And I pray that if, if anyone says that, that you just shut them down. No way, Jose, that's not going to happen. And needless to say, our marriage, that marriage would be in big trouble because we marry and we vow to forsake all others and be devoted exclusively to our spouse. So here's this picture of James saying, how faithful are we to God in our relationship with him versus this relationship that we have with the world? We are either friends with the world and an enemy of God or friends with God and an enemy of the world. And I don't think we want to be an enemy to God. I don't want to. So here's what the friend of the, what being a friend of the world looks like. And friendship with the world means self-seeking our pleasures and our desires. Going to the world for the things that we want, the things that we desire, versus a friendship with God, a relationship with God, that we are fully relying on Him for our desires and our pleasures and, and what we need in our life. And so here's the struggle. And I'm not saying that we need to go off to some convent or some monastery to avoid the things of the world, that would make things easier uh, if we could absolutely focus on God. But we live in this world. God has kept us in this world. We didn't accept him and enter into that relationship with him, and then he takes us up to heaven immediately. No, we are here for a reason. We're here for a purpose, and that is to be a light to the world, to continue to minister and share his love with others. And so we're stuck. Uh, we're stuck with people in this world who are a temptation, uh, who tend to bring us down. Uh, the good, the bad. Of course, I always go on my mind, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I hope you don't have ugly people in your life. Um, and their heart is what I was meaning, of course. But, but there's people in this world that are hard to live with and that, that can bring us down. But we have an, an, awesome, an awesome privilege and responsibility to do ministry, to do evangelism. So God has left us in this world, and we have to deal with worldliness versus this relationship with God. And being in this world just means that we are not ruled by the things of this world if we are absolutely focused on God and our relationship with him. First John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If we know that Jesus Christ is our Savior and we belong to him, we are his bride and we must love and pursue him above all things and people. And that's, that's the perfect picture. That's our goal to achieve, to, to pursue. But it's not easy. We talked about how difficult it is to be selfish. Well, actually, how easy it is to be selfish. How difficult it is to fight our selfishness. Uh, that it's it's built within us that we are by nature selfish. And to give ourselves fully to God, to give ourselves fully to that relationship is not easy. And there are so many times that we think, or I think, you know what, I can do this. I've got this part of my life under control. You know, God, I'll call you in if I need help. We're fully relying God, on God is allowing him to be a part of every part of our life. And the world can offer so many things, especially our selfish desires, but it will never fully quench our thirst, never fully satisfy our desire 
never fully accomplish all that we want in our heart. It might for a moment, but it ends up in disaster. And Jeremiah 2.13 says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So imagine this. We have God and our relationship with him. We have Christ Jesus, uh, the living water, the pure the, the salvation that we have, the fulfillment of our lives in him. And this passage in Jeremiah is saying when we try to do it ourselves and, and build these cisterns to hold this water, they're broken. They're not going to hold anything. But when we go to God and we rely on him, we have that living water within ourselves. That everyone who drinks of this water, and this is Jesus to the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. So we we have these desires. We have things that the world offers that, that look great, but they will never absolutely quench our thirst for our relationship with God, for our true heart's desire and our true fulfillment in this life. That only comes from Jesus Christ uh, by the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 5 of James 4. This is talking about God's jealousy. This is an amazing picture of not only God's request for us to pursue him and for us to love him and for us to continue to grow in our faith. Here's a picture of God's love for us. Um, and it's in his jealousy. He yearns jealousy over this spirit that he has made to dwell in us. God's jealousy longs for his people's love. And there are Old Testament passages that refer to God as jealously desiring the devotion of his people. One of those is Exodus 20, verse 5. And this is from the Ten Commandments concerning idols. It says, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God wants all of us, our whole relationship, our whole life devoted to him. And and being completely sold out to him. He is righteously, he is a righteously jealous husband who wants no rivals. He doesn't want to share us with anyone else because he loves us so much. We cannot enjoy sin and follow Christ also. We cannot live in our selfishness and yet make claim of being a Christian. And we cannot claim to be the bride of Christ and then run to the worldly man next door for our needs and our wants and our comfort. It is, it's going to God's problem. We have to be all in and devoted to our relationship with God, or we've allowed ourselves to, to run off and deal with the worldly desires that we have. So sitting here, and I wrote this down, Pastor Randy, this sounds like another impossible thing for us to accomplish in our faith. Um, I am. I feel like I'm barely making this faith growth process happen. I'm fairly making. I'm barely making it in this relationship. Trying to grow in my faith. Trying to have a deeper, richer relationship with God. And and I do great for a few days, and then I fall back. I get all of that, but He gives more grace. Look at verse six. Here is the grace of God. 
that he knows all of these are, are pretty much impossible on our own, absolutely impossible on our own. But through him, through his relationship with us, we have an abundant amount of grace in our life. And James says, but we need to understand that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That God does not give grace to the proud, the self-reliant, the self-righteous person, those who arrogantly defy God and refuse to admit his sovereignty over their lives. And scripture affirms that God confronts the proud as an adversary and deals with them to defeat, to defeat their plans. Well, I'm like, oh, God, I'm really trying here. And even Proverbs 15.25 says, The Lord tears down the house of the proud. He opposes the proud. And there's pride in our heart. There's a proudness that happens. But his grace covers so much more. And let me read Second Chronicles 7. It says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And we see this all throughout James. He just says, ask. Ask God the Father for this grace. Ask in humbleness, knowing that the only pure source of anything for our lives comes from God. Nothing from the world. It is grace greater than all of our trials and burdens. It is humbleness that draws us to Christ. Jesus himself, for as our all in all. Um, do we believe that Jesus Christ provides an all in, our all in all in our life? And that humbleness draws us to him. The greater our needs are, the greater of God's supply of grace. Humbleness is willing, willingly submitting to God's will. And God has an abundant amount of grace. Grace that we cannot, can't even measure, that we can't even count. Grace that far exceeds anything in our life. Anything. Any sin, any doubt, any situation that we're working through. God's grace saturates, overflows in our life. And we are overloaded. This unmerited favor, this getting something that we don't deserve, is an amazing amount of grace. Now let's go back to this marriage picture uh, throughout scripture of, of God as our husband, Christ as the head of the church, and, and we as the bride, this relationship. A beautiful picture of this is in Hosea, dealing with Hosea and Gomer. And it's a beautiful picture of God's relationship to us. And here is Hosea, who God says to marry the prostitute Gomer. After bearing him children, she's unfaithful to him. In spite of her adultery, she goes back into this life of adultery. Uh, Hosea continues to support her. Eventually, Gomer ends up in the slave market, degraded. And who would want to go back and to rescue her again? But God tells Hosea, go back, purchase your wife to free her from this debt and to bring her back into this perfect love relationship with you. Whether all that she has done, all that she is not worthy of, the grace of this marriage with Hosea is a beautiful picture of God's love for us, his wayward people. We are so far off from where God wants us, even the most faithful, the most committed. We've got a long way to go. But this picture of God's grace on us in the midst of all that we've allowed ourselves to be a part of, 
this worldliness in our life, the amount of grace in our life from God is an, is amazing. Hosea 14.4 says, I will heal their apostasy, which is backsliding, which is waywardness. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. And in this love story, God promised that we would return to him, that he, we, that he would be faithful to always forgive us, that his grace is sufficient for all of our sins, for those in the past, those for today, and those in the future, and that we are always welcomed back into his loving arms. And I pray if there's anyone who is struggling with, in their faith now and struggling in their relationship with God, that they realize the amount of grace that God has for us. So, And how do we even compare God's love and grace and mercy to anything that friendship with the world would provide? It doesn't even come close. And yet we are still stuck in the sin nature. We're still stuck in looking for the easy way out. And the things of the world, they, they look great. That they're going to fulfill something in my life. But we've got to always remember God's amazing grace and his love and his mercy on us that far outweighs. It's even, it's not even measurable, the amount of love that God has for us and, and who wants the very best, most fulfilling, abundant life for us. But yet we always tend to run the other way, don't we? And I have to share, we, we're dealing with the, our search committee looking for our new youth minister and I had to go through the interview process about six months ago now, seven months ago. But when I came, and it'll be 17 years this July, pretty crazy. 17 years ago, I came from California, came out here to some church in Maryland uh, to interview and and to talk with the church. and, And God obviously has opened an amazing opportunity for all of us, I pray, over this time. But... We, I had probably almost a two-hour interview with the deacons, uh, one of my visits out here. And one of my favorite questions to this day, and I still use now, even with our interns, and we just actually had a, an interview with a person last week, and I asked them the same question, is describe grace. That actually came from Paul Stoney um, when I was here. Describe grace. What does grace mean to you? Can I tell you, when you can verbalize what grace means to you, it shows your heart. It shows what God is doing. It is the most beautiful testimony that any of us can give. Is where has God taken us from? Undeserving, full of sin, wretched in his eyes. But God's love comes and overpowers us. And we have this this relationship with a God that loves us and gives us an abundant amount of grace and mercy in our life. And how does that transform us? Besides just our ticket to heaven, that faith growth process, our journey with him, saturated in grace, is amazing. And so here is James talking about we're struggling. We're we're dealing with the friendship of the world. We're dealing with our relationship with God. We're going to mess up. We're going to fall flat on our face. And sometimes absolutely rebellious in the face of God, fall on our face. But the grace of God will always pick us up and always help us on our journey forward. Let me finish with reading 2 Corinthians 12, 9. This comes from Christ himself. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then we get to come back and say, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I, I hope that we're getting this picture that James wants us to get. That yes, he comes out strong. How dare you, you adulterous people? Because it's a reality. Sin is a reality. Sin is a very real piece of who we are on this earth. And it is a constant battle. It is a constant struggle for us to continue to seek after the things of God because sin is so much more easy, so much more fun, so much more enjoyable for a moment. But man, we've got to continue to remember the grace of God that he has given us, that he loves us. And that is a pursuit that we need to always be keep our eyes focused on. So as we close in prayer and go into our invitation time, um, and we're going to sing something that we're going to do all five verses of, but let us truly remember, first of all, our struggle. First of all, this, this sinful nature that we have that wants life to be easy versus an amazing, loving God that life's not going to be easy, but in his power, in his strength, we are going to experience an abundant life a life that can only come from him, a life that is continuing to mold us and to make us to look more like Jesus that we desperately need in our lives. Please pray with me. Father, I thank you for this morning, for this reminder of your amazing grace. Father, the reminder of your amazing love, that you are jealous for me, that you want my love and my my attention and my pursuit. Father, I thank you for all that you have given us. And words cannot describe all that we are continuing to grow in and continuing to understand and continuing to worship and glorify you with. Father, thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.